0: is going on, everybody. This is Sugi from Squad Tactica. This is day two of Adepticon. I just finished painting my models here at the hotel, so I'm packing everything up and heading out to get some breakfast slash lunch, and it's going to be a blast. We've got interviews. Um, I've got the Kill Team event later this evening. Uh, it's j- <laughs> I'm so excited. It's just going to be a blast so uh, as always a huge shout out to our patreons and our sponsors Battlefoam and discount games inc thank you to everyone for your support and you know helping keep this show growing and getting out to bigger events and meeting so many amazing people um the reason why we didn't do a show yesterday for day one was i was playing uh, star wars destiny all day and uh, getting some Uh, spot gloss cards for a friend of mine and then I got done about four o'clock and the vendor hall closed at six so I basically uh, played all day got some lunch and then spent about an hour and a half doing a couple demos and talking to people and uh, setting up some interviews for later today so we're going to definitely talk about Uh, more of those things over the course of uh, today and tomorrow, but uh, yesterday was pretty uneventful in terms of miniatures, so that's why there really wasn't anything to talk about or even record a podcast, but um, the first thing we're going to be doing after lunch is playing that uh, Wild West Exodus game, because I got the very short, like, 15-minute explanation and demo game, because I got over there, uh, like... 20 minutes before the expo hall closed, so they're like, you know, here's how it is. You can come over to you know today on Friday, and uh, give this a whirl. And then I'm going to get to interview uh, one of the lead designers, or if not the uh, the head of the company, I'm not entirely sure. We'll find out later. Um, but we'll get to talk to them about the Wild West game and then the Lost World game they just announced here at Adepticon, and um, just kind of get our feet wet in what that game is. It's a skirmishy Wild West game. It's it's complex, which is neat. Um, it seems like you have minimal models, so the uh, the meat and potatoes of the games and the rules. But like I said, I only really got 15 minutes of conversation with them about it, and a lot of it was, "What do you want to do? I want to do this. Okay, then roll this die and do this thing." So I don't really know what the rules are. I don't really know how the game works. They just kind of let me do whatever I wanted against my opponent, which, like I said, was fun. But I don't exactly know what's going on. Then the other game I played. Um, I'll get more paperwork on that. But I actually played a demo of... An, the, the pictures are up on Facebook, and I'll, I'll get some more information on it. But uh, we'll talk about that later. The um, the skirmish game. Uh, it was like Paranormal Studios or something like that. I'm, I'm probably... I know I'm butchering it. Um, but it is a... It's a tray-based... It's not a war game because you're not playing with full armies like you would if you think about old-school Warhammer Fantasy, you're playing with a small... It, it's like between a skirmish and a big game. So in the demo, you had four units. Uh, in the real game, they were saying you're playing probably about eight, like tr- eight trays of units. So that's that's not really a lot. It's really fast. It kind of reminds me of Song of Ice and Fire in the tray movement system. But the, uh, the difference is in this game, it's pre-ordered actions and what that means is every single um unit has a card and so at the start of the game or at the start of the turn you actually select which order the cards are in and you form a deck and you place those cards face down so when it's your turn you flip the top card over and that's the unit that you activate so i know uh that can be a pro or a con for some people because i i enjoyed the game although i personally really hate um pre-programming for games, kind of like Robo RoboRally, um, this one falls into that same problem of if a unit dies and you flip up the card nothing happens. Now the game is intuitive enough where you just move on to the next activation, you don't actually lose a turn, which is nice. Um, the, and I'll talk more about this game in detail, this is really just a synopsis. But um, the two the things, that, so the pros of the game were it was very fluid, like the game was incredibly fast. It's, you know, I activate my guys, I roll my dice, you roll your saves, boom, my turn is over. You activate, you, you know, you flip your top card over and we keep going. Um, the models are beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. They are on sprues, they're plastic, uh, similar to Games Workshop. In fact, if you play the demo, they give you a sprue to take home. So I have a sprue of the three giant berserkers. They're the ones that look like mummies with claws. You probably saw I, I can get some more pictures on Facebook, um, and the um, the game. I guess this didn't bother me. I thought it was interesting. So you know we'll move off of pros into middle ground. Um, it is a reverse version of Warhammer. So with Warhammer you need like three ups, four ups, five ups. Whatever the number is on the card, you need that number and down. So if you have a three, you need a three or under. So you need a one, two, or three. Uh, If you have a uh, a two, you need a one or a two. So it's a a 33% chance for a save. Once again, I I feel like this game is trying to uh, be a little bit different so it stands out. I sincerely don't know if that's necessary. Um, because math is math. Like you could have easily just said you need a five up save, like what everyone else knows. I'm not, I'm not dogging them on it. It's just, if you're going to try and, in my opinion, if you're going to try and do something that makes your game stand out from the crowd, it should be a unique mechanic or a unique system or a unique something, not just reversing the current system where, okay, in Warhammer, I need a three up save. And in this game, I need a three down save. So in my head, it's basically like, to me, it's the same. It's like, why can't I just roll a, th- a three up? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyways, well, I guess the three up would be better because it'd be three, four, five, or six, as opposed to one, two, three. So, okay. Mathematically, there is a difference. But like like I said, I don't understand the concept of instead of a two or less, you couldn't just put a five up and everyone instantly understands what you're doing. Anyways, it's a caveat. It doesn't really matter. Um... The thing that is interesting, and I think this will uh, turn a lot of gamers away, and I think it will also make a lot of gamers interested at the same time, I think this is going to be one of the most, um, I guess, controversial things about... It's not controversial, I guess. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, it, it's going to be the the item of, of topic. It's going to be the, the thing people talk about, with, which makes them like the game or hate the game. And that is the way the save system works. So, for example, if I... I played with the monsters, so I have this giant spider lady monster thing. It has ten wounds, you get ten attacks. So I swing in, I need threes to hit, and I re-roll all misses. So I roll my dice, I re my misses, and I get like eight hits. So there's not a roll to hit, roll to wound, it's just flat. You hit and you wound at the same time. So eight you know, in in Warhammer terms, I roll eight successes, those are wounds. So my opponent now has to save, and they'll have, you know, a two or less or a three or less, they roll their dice, whatever they fail, they take as wounds. So those models are removed. On top of that, immediately, they have to take a, in Warhammer terms, it'd be like a leadership check. But it's a little bit different. So each model has their own individual. I think it's called resolve as the key is the key word for this game. So you have a resolve check for each wound you took, and your resolve is another number. Usually it's like the exact same as your your save. So if your um, your armor save is two or less, and you you know succeed those those models live, and then you roll a resolve check, which is usually the same number. Uh, it's a different stat because some people have less, some people have more, so you you roll so all right i'm I'm rambling anyways, so for example, I roll eight wounds, you save three of them, so you take five wounds, then you take five more resolve checks, and any of those that fail, you kill that many more models so um like I was saying, this could be one of those hot topic issues where you lose models really freaking fast, like insanely fast. Um, it's nice, because it does keep the length of the game down, but on that same note, it also means you could just get hit with a nuts roll, and, like, I roll my 10 attacks, and then I reroll my fails, and so 10 attacks go through. And if you only have a two or less, you might take eight wounds, and then you have to take another eight saves, and you might take another six wounds. So you just lost, um, a lot of guys real fast, and, you know that that was the thing like like I said I liked it but I didn't like it because like when I killed a bunch of guys it felt great you know you just run in you punch them and you obliterate like 16 models but then it feels really bad when your opponent comes back and they kill like 30 of your models you're like huh that's crappy (laughs) so um I might do another demo Later this week, um, but with all those things, I was saying I did like the game and the starter box. I think is like eighty dollars, and it comes with a ton, ton of miniatures. It's a giant square box, similar to like Star Wars Legion or Imperial Assault. For those of you who are wondering, like what the the starter box looks like, it's not that big, long, deep box like Song of Ice and Fire, which is probably good uh, because that box is enormous. It's freaking huge. Now it is nice that they do put the plastic. Um, holders for your models but regardless like that that box is just obese it's ridiculously large like you could put like two board games inside of that sucker um so anyways yeah I'll, I'll find out what the name of the game is i just reviewed but um it's coming out in june there's going to be two factions out of the gate and then there's two more factions over the course of the summer one of them is nords which basically to me they look like um space wolves without the space marine armor so it's cool the mod like the the sculpting of the models is high quality uh, it's not games workshop quality but it's good I-, I mean like it's probably as good as privateer press uh, i mean i don't think that's bad it's not like a bad it's really weird because people are like oh is it games workshop quality i'm like i don't think anything is games workshop quality except games workshop but that doesn't mean it's bad like we're not talking like you know Imperial Assault bad. Uh, but like privateer press makes perfectly good sculpts so i mean the plastic is fine it looks great feels great Um, i mean like cool stuff or cool minis or not makes great sculpts for song of ice and fire but i still don't think those are as good as the games workshop model but they're still very high quality so it's probably an irrelevant part of the review Uh, but i know people care about the quality of the plastic. They care about the quality of the sculpt. They care about the quality of the sprue. They, they want to know, is this plastic quality? Is this plastic good? And yes, it is. And um, for the one sprue I got and the other sprues I looked at, um, they are dynamic poses. The arms and head, like the head is on a ball joint. The arms are flat, just like Games Workshop, so you can rotate them uh, in whatever direction you want, you know, upwards, backwards, sideways, forwards. Um, The legs are monopose, exactly like, you know, Space Marines where, you know, your legs are just legs. They look exactly the same. So the meat and potatoes of posing is the torso, the arms, and the head, and I I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, What's really cool is the berserkers I got are actually all primarily on ball joints. So, like, the legs are legs, but the waist is the bottom of a ball joint. So you can, like, tilt your upper torso forwards or backwards or to the left or to the right. The head is on a ball joint. The arms are, um, I think they're flat, but you can still, like, rotate them up and down. So it's, it's basically what everyone is accustomed to. And like I said, I know this might seem kind of bizarre and niche, but that's something I care about. Like with Star Wars Legion, the models are pre, um, pre-sculpted, so you don't get any option to make them look special. Every single model looks exactly the same. And that's just something I'm not interested in, but I really like ball socket joint models because I can customize how they look and what they're doing and their poses and the action they're taking. So I find that valuable, especially for you know non-games workshop games, because a lot of places uh, don't do that. So anyways, I think like the quality of the models is great. It's going to look fantastic on the table. I like how fluid the game is. Um, I don't know if I could take this game seriously for a tournament, because like I said, if someone just rolls the nuts and you don't save, you could literally lose an entire regiment in one attack. And that I sincerely think that would feel bad if you'd taken all the time to paint those models and get to the tournament and set up, and then like the first or second action, you get charged, and they're just dead. Um, Now, for some people, I'm sure that's probably very exciting and you would love to play this. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this and your store has the opportunity to pick up a demo copy or the core set and do a demo, try it. I, I wouldn't knock it until you try it. But I know for a fact that there's a lot of friends of mine that will not play this game because when I tell them, oh, yeah, you take an armor save and you lose that many wounds and those models die. And then you take an additional, essentially an additional armor save and you lose another bunch of models, they're going to be like, no, I don't want to do that. That's ridiculous. So anyways, um, those were the two things I did yesterday. I hung out at BattleFoam, got some pictures of Games Workshop stuff, Uh, the crystal brush. I'm going to be taking more pictures. The only reason I didn't take more was they kicked us out of the hall um, because they were walking around going, are you guys uh, exhibitors? I'm like, "Mm, press? He's like, no, that doesn't count, bro. You got to go. I was like, okay, okay. Um, uh, but there's there's like six full cases, full of these models that people have painted, and they're just absolutely gorgeous. So I'm definitely gonna get more pictures. Um, like I said, we've got interviews with the Wild Wild West exodus team um i'm i'm just gonna keep like i don't have to do anything until five so i'm gonna go around and just get as much as i possibly can and then tomorrow i have like one small event in the morning and then i have the rest of the day to just go gallivanting around getting photos and interviews and stuff so we'll definitely have content today and tomorrow so uh, i'm going to get on out of here and uh, we'll be back later with more interviews more content And uh, a lot more fun coming out of Adepticon. So we'll see everyone soon. Alright everyone, this is Sugi here with Stuart and War Cradle Studios. How are you doing today, sir? I'm very well, thank you. My feet hurt, but other than that, all good. (laughs) Alright, so uh, we just did a demo of the Wild West Exodus and then you guys made an announcement for Lost World Exodus. Now, for those of you who are listening and don't know what this game is, can you give us a little bit of a uh, overview of what kind of game this is? Uh, which one, Lost World uh, or Wild West? Well, let's talk about Wild West okay. since that yep. game is out now, yeah, and then sure. Lost World since you announced it here at Adepticon.
1: OK, so Wild West Exodus is a skirmish game. It's 35 millimeter scale, which the, the, the miniatures come in at kind of a, a more um, natural proportion, so you're not going to see a huge difference between like a, a heroic 28 mm game and a 35 a mm game. Uh, the miniatures themselves are designed around the Wild West of America in an alternate history. So it's the 1870s, but it's uh, the world. It's not our world. It's a world that's. Uh, Something's gone wrong, like a thousand years ago, and the after it's Like dropping a, a large rock in the it, <laughs> in the pool a thousand years ago, and, and the ripples, the water hasn't settled quite the right way. Yeah, things are a lot of things are really familiar in the um, in the setting. But there's a lot of things that are, are quite different now, and there are shadowy organisations behind the scenes
0: trying to manipulate it all for their own ends. Okay. So, lore-wise, it's a different alternative universe that is very, very deep, and we're not going to go into that. But let's talk mechanically about the game. So, this system works on actions and spending actions and a d10 system so most of the listeners are used to warhammer will be standard d6 can you talk a little bit about the variation if they were to try this at a local game store what are they to expect since it is a different system although it's really not that different once you get the feel for the game yeah i mean i think fundamentally the the
1: similarities you'll see is because as, as people as. there are actions that we recognise and whether the game's got a formalised movement phase, shooting phase and it structures the actions like that or if it uses, as Wild West Exodus does a much more free-flowing thing where Mm -hmm. you just decide what actions you want to do if you want to fire twice, you fire twice if you just want to move everywhere, you move everywhere Mm -hmm. Um, but actions fall into kind of recognisable recognisable groups in Wild West Exodus they are move actions or combat actions Mm -hmm. Um, so The way the game is structured so we use d10s mainly because the um so a d6 and fans of 40k will see this a d6 the six-sided dice is great if you want to roll if you want a game where you're rolling lots and lots of dice six-sided dice are really good for getting um results really clear what the results are you get a a, a much more predictable spread of results because um it's easy to understand what those are (laughs) the drawback is um Eventually you get quite used to a lot of three plus four plus kind of stuff going on uh, because the um, the spread results is so predictable and also differentiating between things and um, You can't use the scale to differentiate quite so easily and, and by that I mean so a space marine and an Imperial Guardsman They might only have a point of strength up one point of strength difference mm-hmm. when in reality the space marine isn't like a third stronger than a human. Mm-hmm. He's many, many times stronger, but there's a limitation on the on the um, on the spread mm-hmm. of the uh, of the dice. So we use a ten-sided dice to give it gives a little bit more spread. It lets us. The game has a um, a uh, automatic or a critical fail and a critical success. So critical success is a ten, critical fail is a one. So that that already factors in. The idea that no matter what's going on, you can always succeed at something, Mm -hmm. or if it goes, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, you can always fail. Mm -hmm. And I think if the dice score, yeah, if the dice range was smaller, Mm -hmm. that would disproportionately affect the game. Yeah, yeah. Like on a six-sided dice, if one was always a fail, a six is always an automatic success. Yeah. That 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 really starts to skew things. And a D4, that then becomes. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, and flipping a coin. Yeah. So, yeah. So with. um, so that's that's what we did also because I um, I like narrative games mm. so Wild West Exodus to this is a very narrative driven game that yes. you mentioned the background being very rich that's deliberately so because it is the fuel that the game runs on because of that I always have a notion as to trying to kind of leverage a game into as many or leverage a, a, a mechanic in as many ways as possible mm. and a d10 naturally leads itself to a d100 if you want to do a role-play game or something like that so there's there's, a, there's quite a natural kind of connection there. Mm-hmm.
0: So we like D10s. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the the mixture of the narrative and the complexity of the D10. Because it's very apparent when you're playing the game, your choices matter. It's it's not a linear game. And I think that's one of the, the favorite things I experienced was, you know, when you play Warhammer's, you know, the most traditional game most people know, it's kind of linear. You move, you shoot, you attack, your opponent does the same thing. Uh, in this game, like you were saying, it's much more fluid. You have actions and you get to spend, well, you have action points, and you can allocate those towards taking actions or boosting actions, and it's also thematic within the structure of the game. Can you elaborate on why you decided to make it so much different than what the traditional wargamers used to?
1: Yeah, um, there's particularly in the skirmish when the great thing about so the great thing about skirmish is it you're getting closer to you're almost you're not quite one on one but you're you're really getting individual people individual actions really matter When you zoom out to like kind of the squad base then it's like brigade base level mm-hmm. stuff where it, it's so abstracted away um, like we another one of the games that we have which is set in the same universe is uh, dystopian wars mm-hmm. individuals an individual person on a battleship makes very, little. even the captain, they might be giving orders but the captain can't make the guns fire better, the captain can't make, you know, they, a, a person is limited by the influence that they can have. In a skirmish game, a person has, particularly if they're on their own, a person has 100% of the influence. So we wanted to make sure that the, um, that the game could reflect that, could reflect those individual decisions much more closely and, and really there's something slightly artificial about um, so all of my guys are going to wait for all of your guys to, to, to do their moving <laughs> then you're going to be really good and let us do all of our shooting and then you'll fall over and anybody that hasn't fallen over then they're going to return fire yeah. and it, again it, it, it's an abstracted way of playing but for me that it, it's a little too abstracted mm-hmm. um, so this lets us do that and even yes <laughs> it has an alternate activation so you activate unit, I activate unit, we do everything but even then, we, we, we've taken it one stage further. We, one of your actions can actually be to um, what's called go on lookout, where effectively you take one of your actions is to prepare yourself for your opponent. So you prepare yourself to react to your opponent doing something else. So it, uh, making it even more fluid between the between the two sides. We felt that was really important, and. Fundamentally, we believe—I well, believe—but as a studio, we believe—so conflict is chaos. Yeah. The idea of having a, a very disciplined um, structure, something in something as disorganised as conflict is mm-hmm. is a little weird. So, the way Wild West Exodus works—and hopefully you've had a flavour of this—is essentially everything's in chaos. You cannot control mm-hmm. the game in Wild West Exodus. What you are what you are doing is though your strategy and your tactics come about by. Um, minimising when things aren't going your way, when luck's not on your side, when um, misfortune's at your door, your strategy and your your skill comes in minimising the effect that that has on you Mm -hmm. and then when things do start to go your way with um, is maximising the advantage that you take of that and because there are several random elements to the game so you have the action cards that you use and you also have obviously the dice that you're rolling so those are things you cannot control but then there are ways that you can add a little bit of structure to it that's like talking about the options and the choices so you have the adventure deck where you have a hand of cards where you can you can play some of those to kind of soften the uh so if you've drawn an action card, so if you want to activate your boss your your main character and you've drawn an action card and it's got one action point (laughs) it means means your character is, is 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 pretty much useless yeah however What you can do is, I mean, you've got got choices there. Do I not activate? Because you don't say what you're activating until after you've drawn the card. You might want to, you might need to activate your boss, but actually because you've only got that one action point, you're gonna hold off on that. I'm not gonna do that right now. Let me me try and weigh it out for another. I'll activate something else and hope that my boss hasn't taken it in the neck and then continue from there. But what you can do with those adventure cards we talked about, there are benefits you can get from them. That you can, it's all about it. But there are benefits you can get from them. There are things you can get from it where the adventure cards you either use them to earn victory points, which would be something uh, 40k players would be familiar with the uh, Maelstrom of Battle cards or whatever they're called. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, so it's similar to that, um, and that's how you earn victory points in the game. However, there's a, there's not, there's a flip side to the card which is the um, the trade-off where rather than using the card to get a victory point you can use the card to get an immediate boost to something that you're doing and so that's a way that you can sacrifice your longer-term objective by short-term gaining benefits to hopefully get yourself out of a difficult situation and that's that's just one of the ways that you can take try and take control of the chaos that, that the yeah. game has descended into
0: so when you're talking about this chaos which is a part of the the fun because it is a very different experience than a traditional war game where you do have a lot more control and manipulation over when you move, when you shoot, and all that stuff. Um, Was that developed in order to force players to have to pay attention? Because I've noticed, and you probably noticed this too, when you're playing traditional war games, once you're done with your turn, you just kind of shut off for a good 20, 30 minutes. In this game, you are constantly paying attention because... Nothing is reliable and everything is constantly shifting and you can't really sit on your phone and just dirtle for twenty minutes.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. I mean there's I used to work for Games Workshop many years ago and particularly if you played a big game of apocalypse or something like that. So once you had once you had finished your uh, turn, if your opponent was gonna do their movement phase, you might as well go and get You could go to the toilet, you could go and get a sandwich, you could go and make a cup cup of coffee or tea because nothing was going to happen for half an hour, which is not fun. Um, Doesn't matter how pretty all the tanks are, that's not fun. So we didn't want that. We also also wanted to make sure that it had that kind of... uh, unpredictable that unpredictable nature to it and and everybody you should always be engaged if you're if you've agreed to spend two hours (laughs) or whatever of your own time and we've all got better things that we can be doing if you're going to spend two hours of your time playing a game why should you only be engaged for half of that time yeah why not be engaged for all of that time and your opponent likewise uh, we just that's more that's more fun the other reason why there's so many little, there, there, there are a couple of random elements in the game, though, is because my least favourite thing ever is Math Hammer. <laughs> I, I hate the idea, well, you know what, let's not even bother playing the game. Yep. You just sit there, you tell me what you would have done, then I'll tell you what I would have done, and then you tell me what you would have done, and re- it's rubbish, it's <laughs> really rubbish. You might as well not play a game. Save yourself the money, save yourself getting your toys out the box, just just, just talk it through. So. <laughs> By, add, RPG. by having these having these random elements that you neither player can predict, maybe they'll go your way, maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it very very difficult to predict. And there's even things. So we, we use a card deck for um, both the action cards and the adventure cards. But at the very start of the full game, mm-hmm. you burn off a random number of cards. So you don't even know that all of the cards. Because eventually, if you get used to the game. Yeah. You'll be able to work out, well, if this card hasn't come up yet, it will come up at some stage. It might not have done. You might have burned it in the first three cards that so you, you burned up count. the deck. You can't card count either. You can be, you can be... One of the good things about the cards, though, is... the so a dice are random every single time. So I can roll a die; it not be the result I want. When I roll that dice again, I have exactly the same number of options that it can turn up to be. Yeah. With cards, if I draw a couple of cards out of the deck and they are rubbish, I'm actually I'm, I'm building into the deck better luck going forward because I'm removing the bad cards from the deck, and I'm I know that I'm I'm increasing my chances of good cards coming through. We that's an important part of it. So again, it goes back to that. Um, I remember the film *The Crow*. It can't rain all the time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, eventually things will turn around in your in, in your favour if you hold in there. Yeah, that that was an important part of it. The dice are random enough. We didn't want the cards to be just. Yeah, unbelievably random as well. So there is that element, but to ensure that it wasn't completely Mm -hmm. card counting, you do burn a couple of cards off. So you know that you've got good cards coming, but you
0: don't know what good cards you've necessarily got coming. Okay. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the marketing aspect of the game because we've talked about the mechanical elements. You've got eight factions. Yes. It's on a small size table. So, for people who've never seen it, never heard of it, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, the game itself, the table size, okay. um, you know, the dice, your uh, your factions. You know, what kind of uh, entry point for someone who might listen? And go, I want to play this. What what do I? Where do I start? Okay. So there are,
1: yeah, there are eight factions in the game. Uh, the reason we settled on eight factions was we felt that gave the right. So we've been around in the industry for quite a while um, and we've come from lots of different other companies and things, so we think we, we're not masters of anything, but we, we, we understand the basics of things. It's really important that a game can be stocked in stores. If you have more than eight factions, we believe, that makes it, it starts to make it quite difficult for a retail store to start to stock it. You know, oh you've got ten factions, fifteen factions, I mean, however many factions there are for how many of those is, the, of the full range, how many of those is your local store actually going to stock, really? Are they going to have all the codexes? Are they going to have all of the um, all of the battle sets? Are they going to have the up? So we thought eight factions, um, you don't want to have too few, because you want to give people lots of options. But eight factions seemed about the right number. It was also, we, we felt we could do eight really clear, distinctive um, aesthetics for the eight. So... You have eight factions, they're each very, very different. They play differently, they look differently to each other, Uh, but they're all within the the kind of the, um, pretty broad, but Wild West, uh, Wild well, West notion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's an alien faction in there, but we've had cowboys versus aliens, so yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, there's a like, the corrupted faction. There's the mad scientist ones. There's the the lawmen. Uh, the um, you know the nefarious outlaws. Uh, there's the union, which are the the soldiers, the military force, and so on and so on. So there's there's a really clear clear eight factions that you have. In terms of then of how to get involved in it, the way you build a force is so a force consists of one or more posses. A posse is a a group of units, and that group of like a detachment almost or a, a, a battle group or something, and that is led by a, a, a commander, a boss. So you can and this is where the, the interesting bit comes in terms of um, designing things. So you can have if you want to you can just take bosses, you could just take leaders. And, be like, and your arm your force would be like something like the Avengers where you've got like the most <laughs> the most powerful individuals for that faction. Um, and, you know but you might only have five guys um, or guys and girls and they are so each loss is like really keenly felt. Mm-hmm. But you could also have each boss is, say, so can take a posse, so you take your boss and then he or she has a number of allied units and things that they work with. There are synergies that they have within those units, uh, within those posses. So you have what they call theme posses, which limits the number of choices that you have, but it gives a really thematic experience and you get a bonus for that as well. So you can build your force up of one posse and just really expand it up or several posses or don't have any posses and just have the bosses it's entirely entirely up to you some some combination of those but that's that's where your <laughs> that's where your army structure comes from that's how you that's how you build your forces then you're having um once you've done that you there, there are mercenaries or out uh, there are outlaws that you can add into your force as well and there are certain themed posses Also work with other factions as well. So there's there's quite a wide variety of different things that you can do, even within
0: your own um, even within your own faction once you've settled on it. So what you're saying is there is a significant amount of team composition. Flexibility—it's never just a boss, these characters, and you're done. You can just move and mix and match a lot of different stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, to make it easier for people to get started and when they're purchasing things, we, we do a set, we do box sets called posse sets. They contain a boss and a themed set of characters and, and troops to go with it. Uh, those and those retail in the US—they're around um, forty forty-five dollars, something like that. Um, so they're not not, not too bad and they're really, to play, that would be all you would need you just need one of those sets Um, you can add and build and expand on those Uh, you don't have to always take the characters in that box with that boss they're suggested ones those sets are the only places that you get those characters in that boss so you're not going to end up getting duplicates or anything Um, but uh, you're, you're able to mix and match it quite easily and more often than not you'll get two people who collect the same faction that are both really experienced and they'll have totally different builds mm-hmm. because there are there, there's an awful lot of options. And one of the things that we're keen on is the rule of cool. So actually, if something looks really cool, it's probably really cool. Yeah, <laughs> it, it probably plays quite well in the game as well. Okay. Um, we're not one of these ones where we... There are some games, some skirmish games out there <laughs> where <laughs> you, off, you would... You buy stuff not because you think the models are any good, but just because the model's really good in the game. Yeah, it might look rubbish, but actually, but you still you you almost like clone it or carbon
0: copy it. There's not a lot of that in this game. Okay, okay. something I definitely wanted to bring up is your rule set. Uh, you don't have codexes, no, you just have one rule book, and you can either buy the physical copy, but it's also online for free. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, rule books rules are just an excuse to
1: play games um, <laughs> we all collect models and I, I know we sometimes think we we're, we're, we're game players but we're not we're actually model collectors okay. and games are there to give us almost to justify why we collect models <laughs> yeah I love that. It, it's like we have... Well, I like models, so... Because if we didn't like models, we'd play games with little bits of paper or something. We don't. We like... Models are cool. They look great. They're, they're visual. They're exciting. We build them. We spend time... Some of us even paint them. I don't. I'm terrible <laughs> at it. But uh, but we spend lots of time doing this stuff, and it's... So let's have some rules to play a game with them. I mean, Warhammer. Warhammer existed as miniatures for years before there was ever a Warhammer rulebook. Really? Yes. Absolutely. I didn't know that. Yes. Warhammer came about as a reason for people to do something with the giant collections of models that they had. Absolutely true. That is cool. That is absolutely true. Um, And so, and if you think about it, what gets us excited? So what gets people into things like Kill Team or even Wild West Exodus? Yes, the rules do sound intriguing, but it's usually because the models are really cool. The models are really cool. The models are really cool and they're exciting. and, And so why not make the rulebook book for free? Because actually, that's not the bit, no, no game company ever made a fortune selling rulebooks. books. Yeah. If they did, then roleplay game companies wouldn't be going bust. They would be the dominant force in our industry and they're not. Because selling books is really expensive and difficult. Um, Where we want people to spend their money, I would far rather people don't buy the rulebook at all and they just spend all their money on toy soldiers because they look cool and they're going to bring you lots of joy. The rulebook is really useful. so we'll give it for free. There's loads of background in there, that rich narrative that we talked about, that's in there. Um, You don't have to pay for it. Uh, I mean, if you've got a tablet or whatever, you just download it off the website and just just read the thing. I mean, I'm old fashioned. Um, (laughs) I I like to have a physical book. Yeah, yeah. uh, And that's fine. Um, So we do have physical books. We make the book cheap though, so you can pick the book up on its own for about $12, I think. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, And, but we also have, we also have the, the book is available in the Gubbins set, which is basically a, a box set which you can put with any one of the posse boxes. And that the Gubbins box contains the rule book, all the card sets, the dice, tokens, templates, everything you need to play.
0: So now that we've talked a little bit about Wild West, and for those of you listening you need to check it out, and we'll let you plug where they can go. You made an announcement here at Adepticon about Lost World. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is in relation to Wild West Exodus?
1: Yeah, so it's. um, So the Wild West Exodus takes place in a, a setting called the Dystopian Age. The dystopian age has dystopian wars, has Wild West Exodus, and then there are other games that are coming. Um, One of those is, as we announced today, is the Lost World Exodus. So what Lost World Exodus is, it's set, it's the same scale as Wild West Exodus, it's set in a very different place, it's set in, um, in Antarctica, but Antarctica in the dystopian age has, there's something mysterious going on in the heart of Antarctica, and it's changing the environment so within you've still got the ice and the, and the rock and all the impenetrable stuff but after travel for a few miles then you suddenly come into big valley and it's all lush vegetation weird giant lizards volcanoes strange <laughs> strange riches and it's it's a it's a real lost world so what lost world exodus represents is those global powers that I talked about they're all looking for advantage against each other around the world This is, they've had rumours that there's there's strange things going on down there. So they're sending expeditionary forces. What's more Victorian than an expeditionary force? So they're sending these expeditionary forces down to Antarctica to find what's there and bring back some of these riches and wonders for the greater good of their empires. And that's what you're playing in Lost World Exodus. You're playing an expeditionary force going into this lost world and trying to defeat other expeditionary forces and, and seize everything for yourself. It's exciting for a couple of reasons. It's exciting because it brings eight factions again, funny that, it's a good number. You won't believe how many factions there are for dystopian Wars. <laughs> there might be eight. Um, there are eight factions in lost World Exodus. Those eight factions are represent rather than being in Wild West Exodus, it's all the um, so it's the outlaws and the various forces from within the, the frontier of America. Um, the lost world Exodus it is the, the whole world. so it's the union are there again as are the Enlightened from uh, from Wild West Exodus, but also you have uh, uh, six other factions. So you've got the Prussians, you've got the Russians, you've got the French, you've got the Chinese. You've got these major powers are going down into the Lost World to try and stake a claim for it for themselves. The final bit that's exciting for Wild West Exodus players is Lost World Exodus is Exodus. And what that means is the, it shares a core rule set with Wild West Exodus. So narratively, they're completely separate. They, Jesse James doesn't really care what, um, what they're doing down in Antarctica in the same way that the people in Antarctica don't really care what Jesse James is doing, robbing a bank. But from a casual play and from a tournament play, the games are completely compatible with each other. So you can take the French Foreign Legion and start having a go against um, the, uh, the lawmen from, uh, you know, uh, White Earth or Bass Reeves or something mm-hmm. like that you can play against each other that way the Warrior Nation from Wild West Exodus could um, could battle against the Celestian Empire <laughs> from Lost World Exodus and so mm-hmm. on so there's these, this crossover this ability to really mix it up you should make tournament play and casual play it means you can go down to your store your local game store and hopefully uh, if playing, you've you got a Wild West Exodus Force hopefully somebody else has got a Wild West Exodus Force but if they don't and they've got a Lost World Exodus Force great, we'll still get a game and actually that might be more interesting because rather than it being the usual wild west narrative type stuff that you've been playing, now you're playing against some really strange stuff from um, down Antarctica away. So yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time for players of both games.
0: So I only have a few more questions because I don't want to take too much more of your time. But one of the coolest things I found was you have named characters from the wild wild west. You have Jesse James, Doc Holliday, um, Edison, Tesla, they were saying you have Abraham Lincoln. Uh, why did you narratively decide to put these historical characters in this game? Because that's not normal and it's just really freaking cool. So it's an alternate history. I
1: mentioned about the rock dropping and the, and the, the ripples changing the surface of the water. But those people still existed. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it, there is something quite cool about seeing, so they are not the same people from our world, but they are very similar. <laughs> some, some, some of them are very, very similar. Some of them are kind of passively similar. So, for example, <coughs> you have... <coughs> ah, poison. <laughs> so, for example, you have Abraham Lincoln, as you yeah. mentioned. Yeah. So Abraham Lincoln by this point uh, he has been assassinated. Mm-hmm. And by that what happened was as Abraham Lincoln was president in the dystopian age he has become more aware of the greater threats to his beloved union and he's realized that there's only a limit as president there's a limit to how much he can how much good he can do. So he has faked his own assassination <laughs> and is now director Lincoln. And uh-huh. organises the secret service from behind the scenes. Oh, okay. He even acquired an eye patch because all. Uh, <laughs> so he's Nick Fury, basically. All uh, leaders all of uh, secret organisation <laughs> should have an eye patch. So you have, um, so you have Director Lincoln now runs the secret service, protecting the union from the shadows. Mm. Um, you have, um, then you have somebody like uh, Armstrong Custer, who isn't George Custer. He's not the same man. But he is, in terms of historical positioning, he occupies a similar space to him. Um, uh, there isn't a Ulysses Grant, but there is an Odysseus Grant. Um, so there are just a some different. of them are so just off, skewed Thank off centre slightly. Um, but then there is Bass Reeves, who is Bass Reeves. There is Wyatt Earp, is Wyatt Earp. There are so there are uh, Doc Holliday, mm. Doc Holliday. So there are some some characters are absolutely just in a different. Environment. Others of them are very similar to characters from our own history, but they're they're just off. They're just just twisted a little bit. Um, yeah, it just it just depends. Depends on on who they are. I mean, from their own point of view, they they're all characters from the dystopian age. They all they all integrate. Nobody is lifted straight out of history and just 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 is exists in this world because the world is too different to ours for anybody from our world to be completely untouched but uh, but yeah there are plenty of recognizable characters queen victoria is still queen of the um, of the of the crown Um, yeah there's still familiar characters around the world Uh, as you mentioned nikolai tesla Um, but then um, the kaiser is different the kaiser of uh, prussia is different to the Mm -hmm. kaiser that would have been at this time uh, but then Napoleon, uh, Napoleon the Third is running France at this time, and things like that. So there are, as I say, there's there's enough things that even if you have a passing knowledge of history, you'll recognise some of the names. Oh, yeah. I'm going to read more about this yeah. guy. Yeah. Sounds cool. Um, one of the other things, though, that we're really keen <laughs> on, and is, so the games. It's a, it's a 19th century setting, mm-hmm. but we don't live in the 19th century. We live in the 21st century, mm-hmm. and there are aesthetically and um, Culturally, there are things that are right now, in fact, well they're just right, that were not right back then. We're less we the world that we create for dystopian age um, culturally is the world that we wish it would be. So um, though there are, there is discrimination, people tend to discriminate because they're terrible people rather than because of gender or race or sexuality or anything like that. So there are lots of people of all different um, ethnic backgrounds in positions of power. There are people of different genders in positions of power. Um, and that's normal in, okay. in the dystopian age. So you will see there are lots of really strong characters who both boys and girls men and women can really get on board and identify with I mean I've got a son and a daughter why would I want to create a game that only yeah. appeals to one of them yeah. that, that would be wrong
0: yeah. I, I actually thought that was really cool they were both there, there's everyone there's male, female it didn't really matter there's tall, skinny it was, it was really cool yeah. um one last question before we get on out of here. Yep. Uh, can you give us any previews on some of... I used to be a history major, okay. uh, on any of the historical characters that might be in Lost World Exodus? <clears throat> yeah, okay,
1: so... You said Napoleon. Yeah, well, okay. So the, the, the great leaders of the world tend to not be kind of running around in the jungles of um, Antarctica. <laughs> and, and they don't really... So I mean, the President of America at this point is... Jack... Uh, not Jackson... Johnson. Uh, Andrew Johnson. He took over from um, Lincoln, um, and he's been kept. He's been puppeted into power, and he's, he's remained in power ever since. Um, so, the, yeah, the great statesmen that people have heard of—they though they're in the background—they aren't. They aren't running around the. Uh, they aren't running out the jungles per mm. se. Um, uh, historical characters-wise, so we have. Um, <laughs> so we have. Yeah, there are a few. Um, There's a few Chinese characters uh, who are related to chinese characters from history who will be who will be around there okay um same with the prussians um uh, an, an example will be so um you would have heard of the red baron yes um, so he it's a so baron richthoff he he again we, we've got to be true to the timeline he would be he wouldn't even be an embryo at this point right. he would be um he yeah he, he hasn't been born in the 1870s <laughs> However, his father is is a young man oh. at this stage, and again we can take a minute. And we go well. I tell you what, well, his father would still have had an interest in that, but actually, if his father didn't have so technologically, he wouldn't have had a biplane. He would have had because well, actually we have jet engines in the dystopian age now. So actually, there's so there is a um, free here, which is uh, the Prussian for Baron. There's free here. Richthofen, is uh, and he. Uh, Runs with the Luftglancers, which are basically jetpack-wearing uh, guys with like long uh, <laughs> shot lances, and they go flying around the skies, um, tasering people out the air. <laughs> so he he is the uh, he's like the main character for them. And again, so there's that there's that the recognizable name yeah. von von Richthofen, but it isn't his it the is, one that we remember. Yeah. It's, his, it's his father. Oh, yeah. little things like that.
0: That that is incredible. I love it. All right, so let's get Sean out of here where can people find your site where can people go to get more information and you know dig deeper into this uh, really fantastic skirmish game so you can find everything you want from
1: uh so um, Wild West Exodus.com has all the information you need um dystopian wars.com you know any of the game names.com is Lost World exodus.com um, you can go to warcradle.com, and that will give you that gives you the, kind of the overview of everything that we're doing. Um, in terms of buying the stuff, though, you can buy it from us. You're very welcome to. We sell the stuff, obviously. We make it, but um, we would far rather support your local game stores. Get into your game stores. They should stock it. Most we've got distribution out in the states. We've got distribution all over the world. Um, if they don't stock it, they'll easily be able to get hold of it. Um, And I'd rather you put a few dollars in your local stores till and because at the end of the day They're letting you play in their store usually for free Mm -hmm. Um, So i far rather don't buy it from us and then play in their store buy it from your store and um, Encourage others to as well. (laughs) All right final question. What's your favorite thing about this game? favorite thing about this game is that I love the I love the idea that the um, every villain is the hero of their own story. So nobody. So while people, we do have some a little bit of moustache twirling villainy and things. <laughs> everybody has motivation for what they are doing. Nobody's sitting there going, "Today I'm going to be evil." I've decided. <laughs> everybody's done. Uh, everybody's doing things, even if they're doing terrible things. They're doing it for, from their point of view, for important reasons. Um, So I like that, I like that the factions that are (laughs) visibly the most noble and heroic looking are usually the worst they are the in terms of I they are they are pretty nasty um, so like the order which are the kind of the gleaming guys in the full polished armor and stuff mm-hmm. they are they 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 suck they yeah. are the they are the worst guys they want to burn the planet they are <laughs> do not trust them they may they, they may look like you but they they're just wearing your skin there beneath those eyes is something dark um yeah so i like that i like that nothing is as it appears and i like that as i say there's lots of shades of grey and um but that everybody is everybody has um, I, I call it agency everybody has an agency everybody has a reason for doing what they're doing nobody's just doing it because ah oh, we're we're the fickle gods of whatever so we just do this stuff because we're fickle i mean people are doing it because for recognizably human reasons all right
0: well, thank you so much for your time. It was uh, an honor. Thank you so much. Sure, well. All right. All right, everybody. It is 2 a.m. in the morning on Saturday, and I am wrapping up day three of Adepticon. I don't know what day it is. It's, let's see, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, so day three. And uh, it was insane. So... I basically spent the entire morning painting my Marines so they were ready for Kill Team. I went to the vendor hall and got a full demo of Wild West Exodus, and then I got to talk to Stu in the interview. And then we just kind of hung out and talked about um, how Games Workshop was originally a minis collecting company. And that was just a really interesting conversation. Um, And then I went to check in the Kill Team. I filled out all my uh, data cards. And then we started playing. And I'm not going to go into all of the specifics. Um, Each game was 90 minutes. So there is a lot to talk about. So um, either Sunday or Monday after Adepticon, I'm going to do a full recap of Not only the convention, but I'm going to specifically talk about my Kill Team experience, because that that is literally a show, if not two shows combined. Um, So I'm just going to give you the really short and sweet details. So I won the first game. I won my third game. My second game was a tie. Um, But I was consistently scoring extremely high points. So I placed first in points with the other gentleman who won. And he took the win because he had a painted army and I didn't. Um, That's something they do is they assess the um, painting of your army and they they give you points. Um, But mine mine weren't painted, as we all know. I I just had three colors. Um, So I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm actually really happy that I took first-ish, second-ish place um, because of a couple things. And this was kind of something I was talking about on the podcast, but I'm really proud of is, one, this was not a meta army. And two, this is a sub $100 list. This was one box of Plague Marines and two boxes of easy-to-build Pox Walkers. So, my goal, realistically, my goal was to come and have fun and maybe win one game. I I mean, like, I'm not trying to brag. I know that I'm a competent player in strategy games, uh, but I didn't, I honestly didn't expect to go two two wins, no loss, and a tie. Uh, The competition was great. All of the players, each and every individual one of them, was very good at the game. Um, Obviously, there were some good dice rolls for both sides. I, I don't really think anything came down to dice rolls. Well, my, the, the game I tied kind of did, um, but I'll, I'm going to talk about that later because that was a really interesting game. Uh, that, that game itself could easily be a 30-minute discussion. Um, but the, the attitude and the outlook of every single player was nothing but just fantastic. Everyone was extremely kind. They were relaxed. They played well. They played to their hearts Content. They were strong and very adept players, um, but it wasn't cutthroat, and it wasn't mean, and it wasn't ruthless, and it wasn't, you know, this super uptight attitude. It was, you know, having fun and people talking. So, you know, I feel that the competition was fantastic. It was top-notch, very high. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, Plague Marines are good. Plague Marines are really good. I, I knew that they were good playing in Texas, um, but we were always playing casually. We're playing for fun. We're just, you know, hammering out a couple rounds of Kill Team. And, you know, that, that experience is important. It was very valuable. Um, but it was never in a competitive scene. So being able to go back and play in a competitive event felt great because it felt just like when I was in college and we were actually going to competitive events for 5th uh, edition with 1,500-point armies. Now I digress, and I'm going to get back on track. So, kill team was great. It was not uh, stressful, but there was a lot of mental. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of mental energy spent. You needed to know what you were doing. You needed to pay attention to what your opponent was doing. Uh, you needed to. You needed to predict. What was happen? What was going to happen in that round, and what was going to happen in the round afterwards? Because there were only four rounds, and like I said, I'm not going to get incredibly deep into what happened because it- there's just so much to talk about. Um, but what I can take away in the nuts and bolts version of this is anyone who's listening. Also, big shout outs to everyone who said hi. Uh, during the convention, I, I'm sorry, I don't know all of your names, but you know, thank you for coming up and sh- you know shaking my hand or saying you enjoy the show. Uh, it means a lot. It really, really does. Um, but once again, I digress. So, uh, the takeaway from this this event is you as a pilot is more important than the money you spend on the models. A lot of games, a lot of people will tell you you have to buy all these models. You have to have two flails of corruption, or you have to, like, and that's not even legal, but, like, you have, well, I think that's legal. I have to look it up. I don't really, I think it's kind of derpy, but, like, some people who are extremely competitive will tell you, you have to buy all these things, and you have to have this medalist, and you have to do this and this and this, and I I can prove with taking first place and points with my co-winner that is not necessary your skill as a pilot is very important for people who are afraid that the people who spend more money will per- outperform them in tournaments I can say without a doubt that is not the case this this was sincerely the barest of minimums like 12 pox walkers and seven models of death guard is like the the bottom of the barrel in terms of price point entry. You've got plenty of models, plenty of options for your command roster. You have all of the stuff you could possibly need and it it costs 50, it costs like $80 M- MSRP 80 bucks. And you know, like we said multiple times, You can get 15% off from Discount Games Inc. So, if you want a competitive list and you want that 15% off, that's like what eight, like 12, 12 bucks. So once again, it it just goes back to the fact that you don't need to spend a lot of money. Uh, One oh, there was a guy there with Harlequins. He took third. Harlequins are literally. No, I mean, if you need a command roster, you could buy two boxes. But, like, literally, 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 if you wanted to, you could buy one box of Harlequins, and that that is an army. And those are only $35 MSRP, if I'm not mistaken. So if you wanted to go crazy and you bought two boxes, that's 14 models that you paid $70 for. Like, once again, like, there are inexpensive armies you can buy into this game, You can play and you can perform really, really well. Do not let anyone tell you, don't let any YouTuber, any person who writes an article, any podcaster, any friend, any game shop owner tell you that you must buy these models to win games. Clearly you have to buy some models, but your ability to make strategic decisions and your ability to read your opponent and your ability to risk and wager properly. Risk management is incredibly important in miniature games. Sometimes you have to take risks and put yourself out in the open, but you might mathematically know that, you know, it's only going to be a 30% damn chance that you're going to die. Yes, it's still a chance, but... You have ways to reroll. You're really tanky. You know, with the, the Toughness 5, that made people's lives really difficult. Because sure, it was really easy to hit, but it was very difficult to wound. That's one of those things I hedged some bets on. And sometimes they paid off. Sometimes they didn't. And we'll talk about that in the Adepticon recap in a couple of days. But the reality is, you as a skilled pilot... A skilled commander, you can go much further with your skills and a budget army than someone who has the medalist and no experience. And the best part, and this is my favorite thing to talk about when it comes to becoming a skilled commander: playing the game. How do people get so good at kill team? They play the game, they just play it over and over and over. And you want to know something else? The best commanders in the world have lost a lot of games. I see people all the time say, I don't really like losing games. You do realize that some of the top players in the world have lost more games than most people. But what they do is they take that experience and they translate it into knowledge. So you should never be afraid of playing a game and losing. In fact, you should be excited because... When you win a game, that means you made the right decisions. And when you lose a game, you can look back on that and realize or learn and say, oh, I did this wrong. I used that tactic wrong. I didn't know about this rule. I moved when I should have shot. You can take that information in the loss and become a stronger player because the next time you play, you won't make that mistake again. And you'll be one step ahead of where you were and all the other people who aren't learning. A lot of people get mad and they get frustrated and they complain, but they miss that opportunity to sit down for a moment and think, what happened? Now, there are times, because the game uses dice, there are times when you just can't roll what you need. That's not your fault. It's just what happens. And in those instances, the loss is pretty much out of your control i understand that happens to me many times i've lost many games where i made the right decision and i moved into the right section and i controlled the right objectives and i rolled ones and okay just happens that's kind of one of the things that happens with all games dice games card games board games other than like chess or games with um zero sum information like They're just sometimes going to lose a game because of probability, or luck, or whatever you want to call it. But you can still learn. You can still look back and say, maybe I should have done that better in the next game. And I think it's really exciting because it's uplifting. There's no point in playing Kill Team where I feel like it's a waste of my time or I'm losing money, or I'm just not having fun. There's always something to take away from every game you play. And if you're listening and you're like, well, I'm not a competitive person. Well, that's fine. You can still have fun as a casual player, and you can learn stuff all the time. There's, there's all kinds of rules that people don't know. Or sometimes you forget, or sometimes you've gotten wrong. And you know, if you're playing for fun, sometimes someone might say, hey, I thought the rule was X, and we're playing it Y. And you go into the rule book and you go, oh, yeah, it is X, my bad. Well, now you've become a better player. Is it for a competitive scene? No. But if you know the rules better and you know the interactions better, in the long run, you get to have a more whole, full experience because you're playing the game the way it was meant to be played. If you make any kind of altercations or adjustments... Uh, either by accident or just by not knowing, that does change the course of the game. So regardless of competitive, casual, narrative, campaigny, like whatever, you can always pull something away from every game. And even if it's not necessarily winning or losing, you can still bridge a relationship with your opponent. You can have fun, you can laugh, you can talk. I had so much fun playing with each and every opponent. They were some of the sweetest, kindest, most just fun people to talk to. There was plenty of times in some of these games I just wanted to be like, I quit. Let's go get something to eat and just talk. Because they were just that awesome. So (laughs) today was amazing. The Kill Team event was fantastic. I'm really excited to do more events over the course of the year to participate in Nova, uh, to do the Dallas GT Open in two weeks. Um, I just I don't have the time or availability to do more Kill Team tomorrow uh, just because I've got other people to talk to. And I haven't had time to go to the vendor hall, and I'm really excited to go do that. So uh, that's pretty much the end of this because, like I said, I could talk all night about what happened. And it's 2 in the morning. I really need to get to bed because tomorrow is going to be a great day. So big shout out to all of our Patreons who support the show. Thank you eternally for your support. If you're listening and you enjoy the show, if you've been enjoying the Adepticon coverage on Facebook and these extra podcasts, I would implore you to check out the Patreon. A dollar, two dollars a month just helps, it helps to fly out to these events to cover the uber charges, the food, the hotel. Um, we're going to be starting a YouTube, That well we're going to start doing post production videos on the YouTube channel. Um, getting new equipment always helps because it just raises not only the production value of the show, but it helps get more content into your hands faster. So, like I said, Patreon is the way to help support the show if you're interested. Uh, If you're not interested in doing Patreon, that's fine. Like, there is no pressure. There's something else you can definitely do, and it doesn't cost you any money. Leave a review on Facebook. Leave a review on Google or iTunes. Leave a quick little blurb. Leave a couple stars. You know, five stars would be great. And just tell people what you think of the show. Because that is also incredibly valuable. Because people see that and go, this is something I might be interested in. And I've, I can't tell you how many people here at Adepticon have kind of said, I listened to your show. And I told someone else. And they listened to your show. And now they're listening with their friends. And I'm like, that's incredible. Like, word of mouth is really valuable and important. And it doesn't cost anything. And it's so, it's so helpful. So anyways, I'm going to shut up and go to bed. But I always have to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Battle Foam and Discount Games, Inc. Uh, Battle Foam is... uh, We're going to be working on some really cool things for you guys, so that's all I have to say about that. But check out Battle Foam. Uh, They've got some incredible foam cases, like... They have the nuts cases by far. Most everyone who was running any kind of case here at Kill Team, it was Battle Foam. I still haven't seen anything better than Battle Foam or cheaper than Battle Foam. Like their price point is lower than Games Workshop or equal to Games Workshop with better, better foam and better storage. So just do it. And then, like we said, Discount Games Inc. gets you 15% off all your purchases. If you want to buy in bulk, you can get a much larger discount. And all you have to do is send an email to j at discountgamesinc.com. So that is the end of Adepticon Day 3. We will see everyone tomorrow with all kinds of uh, photographs and stuff, because I'm going to be hanging out with friends in the vendor hall. And we're going to be doing an interview with Battle Foam and some other folks just kind of talking about Depticon and convention stuff, foam and miniatures and just all kinds of really cool stuff. Saturday's going to be a lot of fun uh, content-wise for all of you listening to the podcast. So, we will see you tomorrow, and as always, keep on killing them.